rude buildings appeared, rising from a cluster of groves and woods on the left, and, riding up through a long lane, amid a profusion of wild roses and early spring flowers, we found the log church and schoolhouses belonging to the Methodist Shawano Mission. The Indians were on the point of gathering to a religious meeting. Some scores of them, tall men in half-civilized dress, were seated on wooden benches under the trees, while their horses were tied to the sheds and fences. Their chief, Parks, a remarkably large and athletic man, was just arrived from Westport, where he owns a trading establishment. Beside this, he has a fine farm and a considerable number of slaves. Indeed, the Shawanos have made greater progress in agriculture than any other tribe on the Missouri frontier, and, both in appearance and in character, form a marked contrast to our late acquaintance, the Kansas. A few hours' ride brought us to the banks of the river Kansas. Traversing the woods that lined it and plowing through the deep sand, we encamped not far from the bank at the lower Delaware crossing. Our tent was erected for the first time on a meadow close to the woods, and the camp preparations being complete, we began to think of supper. An old Delaware woman of some three hundred pounds weight sat in the porch of a little log house close to the water, and a very pretty half-breed girl was engaged under her superintendence in feeding a large flock of turkeys that were fluttering and gobbling about the door. But no offers of money or even of tobacco could induce her to part with one of her favorites, so I took my rifle to see if the woods or the river could furnish us anything. A multitude of quails were plaintively whistling in the woods and meadows, but nothing appropriate to the rifle was to be seen, except three buzzards seated on the spectral limbs of an old dead sycamore that thrust itself out over the river from the dense sunny wall of fresh foliage. Their ugly heads were drawn down between their shoulders, and they seemed to luxuriate in the soft sunshine that was pouring from the west. As they offered no Epicurean temptations, I refrained from disturbing their enjoyment, but contented myself with admiring the calm beauty of the sunset, for the river, eddying swiftly in deep purple shadows between the impending woods, formed a wild but tranquilizing scene. When I returned to the camp, I found Shaw and an old Indian seated on the ground in close conference, passing the pipe between them. The old man was explaining that he loved the whites, and had an especial partiality for tobacco. Delorier was arranging upon the ground our service of tin cups and plates, and as other viands were not to be had, he set before us a repast of biscuit and bacon, and a large pot of coffee. Unsheathing our knives, we attacked it, disposed of the greater part, and tossed the residue to the Indian. Meanwhile, our horses, now hobbled for the first time, stood among the trees, with their forelegs tied together, in great disgust and astonishment. They seemed by no means to relish this foretaste of what was before them. Mine, in particular, had conceived a moral aversion to the prairie life. One of them, christened Hendrick, an animal whose strength and hardihood were his only merits, and who yielded to nothing but the cogent arguments of the whip, looked toward us with an indignant countenance, as if he meditated avenging his wrongs with a kick. The other, Pontiac, a good horse, though of plebeian lineage, stood with his head drooping, and his mane hanging about his eyes, with the grieved and sulky air of a lubberly boy sent off to school. Poor Pontiac! His forebodings were but too just, 
for when I last heard from him, he was under the lash of an Ogallala brave on a war party against the Crows. As it grew dark and the voices of the whippoorwills succeeded the whistle of the quails, we removed our saddles to the tent to serve as pillows, spread our blankets upon the ground, and prepared to bivouac for the first time that season. Each man selected the place in the tent which he was to occupy for the journey. To Delorier, however, was assigned the cart, into which he could creep in wet weather, and find a much better shelter than his bourgeois enjoyed in the tent. The river Kansas at this point forms the boundary line between the country of the Shawanos and that of the Delawares. We crossed it on the following day, rafting over our horses and equipage with much difficulty, and unloading our cart in order to make our way up the steep ascent on the farther bank. It was a Sunday morning, warm, tranquil, and bright, and a perfect stillness reigned over the rough enclosures and neglected fields of the Delawares, except the ceaseless hum and chirruping of myriads of insects. Now and then an Indian rode past on his way to the meeting-house, or through the dilapidated entrance of some shattered log-house an old woman might be discerned, enjoying all the luxury of idleness. There was no village bell, for the Delawares have none, and yet upon that forlorn and rude settlement was the same spirit of Sabbath repose and tranquillity as in some little New England village among the mountains of New Hampshire or the Vermont woods. Having at present no leisure for such reflections, we pursued our journey. A military road led from this point to Fort Leavenworth, and for many miles the farms and cabins of the Delawares were scattered at short intervals on either hand. The little rude structures of logs, erected usually on the borders of attractive woods, made a picturesque feature in the landscape. But the scenery needed no foreign aid. Nature had done enough for it, and the alteration of rich green prairies and groves that stood in clusters or lined the banks of the numerous little streams had all the softened and polished beauty of a region that has been for centuries under the hand of man. At that early season, too, it was the height of its freshness and luxuriance. The woods were flushed with the red buds of the maple, there were frequent flowering shrubs unknown in the east, and the green swells of the prairies were thickly studded with blossoms. Encamping near a spring by the side of a hill, we resumed our journey in the morning, and early in the afternoon had arrived within a few miles of Fort Leavenworth. The road crossed a stream densely bordered with trees and running on the bottom of a deep woody hollow. We were about to descend into it when a wild and confused procession appeared, passing through the water below and coming up the steep ascent toward us. We stopped to let them pass. They were Delawares just returned from a hunting expedition. All, both men and women, were mounted on horseback and drove along with them a considerable number of pack-mules laden with the furs they had taken, together with the buffalo robes, kettles, and other articles of their traveling equipment, which, as well as their clothing and their weapons, had a worn and dingy aspect, as if they had seen hard service of late. At the rear of the party was an old man, who, as he came up, stopped his horse to speak to us. He rode a little tough shaggy pony with mane and tail well knotted with burrs and a rusty Spanish bit in its mouth, to which by way of reins was attached a string of rawhide. His saddle, robbed probably from a Mexican, had no covering, 
being merely a tree of the Spanish form, with a piece of grizzly bear's skin laid over it, a pair of rude wooden stirrups attached, and in the absence of a girth, a thong of hide passing around the horse's belly. The rider's dark features and keen, snaky eyes were unequivocally Indian. He wore a buckskin frock, which, like his fringed leggings, was well polished and blackened by grease and long service, and an old handkerchief was tied around his head. Resting on the saddle before him lay his rifle, a weapon in the use of which the Delawares are skillful, though from its weight the distant prairie Indians are too lazy to carry it. "'Who's your chief?' he immediately inquired. Henry Chatillon pointed to us. The old Delaware fixed his eyes intently upon us for a moment, and then sententiously remarked, "'No good. Too young.' With this flattering comment he left us and rode after his people. This tribe, the Delawares, once the peaceful allies of William Penn, the tributaries of the conquering Iroquois, are now the most adventurous and dreaded warriors upon the prairies. They make war upon remote tribes, the very names of which were unknown to their fathers in their ancient seats in Pennsylvania, and they push these new quarrels with true Indian rancor, sending out their little war parties as far as the Rocky Mountains and into the Mexican territories. Their neighbors and former confederates, the Shawanos, who are tolerable farmers, are in a prosperous condition. But the Delawares dwindle every year from the number of men lost in their warlike expeditions. Soon after leaving this party, we saw, stretching on the right, the forests that follow the course of the Missouri, and the deep woody channel through which at this point it runs. At a distance in front were the white barracks of Fort Leavenworth, just visible through the trees upon an eminence above a bend of the river. A wide green meadow, as level as a lake, lay between us and the Missouri, and upon this, close to a line of trees that bordered a little brook, stood the tent of the captain and his companions, with their horses feeding around it, but they themselves were invisible. Wright, their muleteer, was there, seated on the tongue of the wagon, repairing his harness. Boisvert stood cleaning his rifle at the door of the tent, and Sorel lounged idly about. On closer examination, however, we discovered the captain's brother, Jack, sitting in the tent at his old occupation of splicing trail ropes. He welcomed us in his broad Irish brogue, and said that his brother was fishing on the river, and R. gone to the garrison. They returned before sunset. Meanwhile we erected our own tent not far off, and after supper a council was held, in which it was resolved to remain one day at Fort Leavenworth, and on the next to bid a final adieu to the frontier, or in the phraseology of the region, to jump off. Our deliberations were conducted by the ruddy light from a distant swell of the prairie, where the long dry grass of last summer was on fire. End of chapter 2